Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Thursday Thoughts. I hope this podcast episode finds you well. I hope you're all having a a great day and a wonderful week, and I just hope all things are going well for you. Um, I mean it when I say this. Uh, I figure most of you who listen to this probably know me in some way. You probably either have seen this through my social social media page because you we follow each other or whatever, or we're friends, um, or you just know me and you found the link to it because I gave it to you at church or something like that. Uh, but the but the off chance that maybe you're someone I do not know personally, and you are watching these podcasts or watching, <laughs> listening to these podcast episodes. I just want you to know from you know the bottom of my heart, like sincerely, that you know I'm really grateful that you are taking the time to listen to this. Not not just you know, not just because it's my podcast and you're listening to my stuff. No, I mean I mean it because like. This is more this is bigger than just me. This this podcast to me is about providing another way for people to hear about the word of God, to hear what it means to be a Christian in our modern world today. And that's why I started this podcast cuz a bunch of people like podcasts. And so, you know, if you are someone I don't know and whether you are a Christian and you're enjoying the study and you're hopefully being encouraged through it, that's great. Or if you're not a Christian and some of the first you know, Bible discussions you've ever really had, um, I say discussions, the first Bible conversations you've ever, you've ever really listened to, that's great too, and I, I really hope that this podcast can be a resource and a benefit to you, I really do, and I mean it also when I say that for anybody listening, um, if there's ever any questions or comments that you want to make on an episode, or there's something that sparked your attention or anything like that, you know, um, Obviously, I assume most of you find find this podcast either through my one of my social media postings on like Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or something, right? Um, and even if you don't, I believe my email's in the show notes. So uh, if you go on Spotify or Apple, however you're listening to this podcast, and you go to those show notes, you'll see my email in the show notes. And so you can always shoot me an email or message me on whatever social media platform you like and with whatever your comment or question or idea or thought or something you'd like to talk about, anything. You know, I really do encourage it. Um, I've had a few people mention some things to me, and I've enjoyed it, and I've been happy for the feedback. And so if you have any feedback, I'd love for you guys to send it my way. And so without further ado, let's let's get back into uh, Thursday Thoughts for today. So this podcast season uh, for Thursday Thoughts has been... Primarily, well, we're focusing on the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And particularly, the majority of this series, of this season of Thursday Thoughts, will be in 1st John. And in 1st John, we've, we've, we're up to chapter, we're like midway into chapter 2 now in our study. And we've seen how, and I've kind of mentioned to you briefly, kind of like the context of the book. And so, John's kind of opposing some false teaching going on in the church, and most likely Ephesus is what most people assume. For First John, that's where he's writing to, um, and a lot of people. Anyway, so there were the, there were these group. There's this group of false teachers called the Gnostics. They were Gnostic Christians, and basically, they had some pretty, you know, at least for those of us who are Bible believing Christians, you know, it's like, man, where did they get this stuff from that they were believing? You know, the Gnostics believe things like that they that they couldn't sin because of what Jesus did, uh, and that they 
that they didn't have sin, so there's no reason for them to pray for the forgiveness of sins. They didn't believe that Jesus was an actual real person. They just thought he came down like as some kind of like phantom spirit. Uh, and there's more stuff, but that's just kind of like some of the main things that are pretty interesting that they do, um, that they believed back in those days. And so, on that note, I've mentioned several times in the previous episodes, and I'll mention again here, that 1 John is a wonderful epistle to start with. If you've never read the Bible before or you're wanting to jump into Bible reading, 1 John is a great place to start because it's a pretty straightforward book. There's not a whole lot of, I think, difficult things to interpret or unpack. I believe it's pretty straightforward. And 1 John really is just writing about the true marks of a Christian, which is why we're studying it in this season of Thursday Thoughts, because if we're going to be Christians in the world today, we have to realize what does a real Christian look like? What are the identifying markers of a Christian? And so when you read 1 John, you see that. And so we've already seen a few things about walking in the light as he is in the light, uh, you know, knowing him and obeying his commandments, confessing our sins when we have them. And today we're going to be talking about how we need to be sure that we do not love the world. And that's the next mark of a Christian. And so today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Uh, you can pull up these verses on your phone, on the Bible app, or if you have your actual Bible, that'd be great. And so let me set up this, this text. In these verses, John, you know, he encourages his believers to oppose the values of the evil one, right? Because in verse 14 that we finished with last week, how, you know, we've overcome the evil one. That's in 1 John 2.14, if you look in the verse above it. So John is encouraging people to oppose the values of the evil one and to overcome him. He also reminds his audience that those who love and obey God have the gift of eternal life in these passages, in these verses, I mean. In 1 John 2, 15-17, John moves from emphasizing the assurance that the members of the community have in their relationship with God to encouraging them about how they are to deal with the world that hates them and is opposed to God. He, he kind, of, kind of shows this change by using uh, the present tense imperative form of the Greek word uh, agapeo. Basically, it's the Greek word for love to begin verse 15. So once again, belief and behavior are linked together in John's assurances and encouragements to Christians. And so we see John's transition using the the verb, uh, the present tense imperative form of agape, agapeo. He's showing that this is something that Christians need to currently do. That's what that means. So this is something Christians need to do. Uh, these verses basically pit the people of God against the world. Accordingly, three points can be convenient. They, 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 these, I can't talk. Three points can conveniently guide our discussion today in verses 15 through 17 in First John 2. So there's the definition of the world in verse 15, the characteristics of the world in verse 16, and the defeat of the world in verse 17. Those are the three main things that we'll point out today in our study. John turns now from the description of the church to a description of the world and to instruction about the church's attitude toward the world. In doing so, he changes the he changes from affirmations about Christians uh, standing to warnings on their behavior. These the characteristics the uh, 
tense of this paragraph is not perfect, is not the perfect indicative, but the present imperative. Do not love the world. Christian people have entered into a general inheritance in the forgiveness of sins, fellowship with God, and the conquest of the evil one. But their temptations have not come to an end. And so let's read our passage. So that's kind of setting up our passage. That's kind of, well, kind of. That, that is what 1 John 2, 15-17 is about. And so now let's read it, and you'll see some of these themes play out. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, a.k.a. lives forever. And so let's, let's start breaking this passage down a bit. So 1 John 2, excuse me, 1 John 2, 15, John begins this verse by issuing the command that the believer is not to love the world or anything in the world. You know, initially this command may sound strange given the fact that John in his gospel in John 3, 16, you know, he clearly and beautifully states how God loves the world. And the fact that 1 John 2, 2 talks about how Jesus was the atonement for the sins of the world. You know, what is the difference? You know, that sounds confusing uh, because, you know, right, First uh, John, or excuse me, John 3.16, John writes in the gospel, right, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so if God loves the world, why is John telling us to not love the world? Well, the difference is found in the way that John uses the term cosmos in each sentence, cosmos, basically, where we get our term for universe world it's a greek for it's a greek word and so it's the difference in how john uses this word world in these epistles and the gospel of john john employs this term in three distinct and basic ways and so john uses the term world or cosmos to mean one the created universe that's in like john 3:17 john 4:17 and 1 john 1:10 and the second way in which he uses it is kind of talking about the world of human persons, if that makes sense. So that's like John 3.16 and 1 John 2.2. 2. And then the third way John uses this term is he uses it to represent an evil, organized, earthly system controlled by the power of the evil one that has aligned itself against God and his kingdom. And that's this passage we're reading First uh, John four three through five, First John five nineteen, or excuse me, John five nineteen and John sixteen eleven. And so that's the di- that's that's how we can tell and understand the difference is that John's saying don't lo- he's using definitely the third meaning right in these verses John is using the third meaning. One should note that John is not advocating um, that the creation is evil. No, he's advocating a temporal, ethical dualism in which there is a constant battle going on between the realms of darkness and light. If we are engrossed in the outlook and pursuits of the world which rejects Christ, it is evident that we don't have the love of the Father. That's what John is saying. If, if we love the world and the pursuits of the world and we want what the world wants, then it's evident that we don't love God, because if we love God, 
we're not seeking things of the world, but seeking him and seeking his commands. The value of human societies should not define believers. Instead, the uh, they should be shaped by Jesus' values, right? John is in favoring of love, but kind of not, or excuse me, um, let me rephrase that. Sorry, my notes, I was confused. John is not like in favoring of love, but instead showing that being a part of evil is not love. That's what John's really doing. Um, the believer's passion should not be for what culture offers, but for what God desires. Basically, two choices stand before everyone in church. Everyone in church, everyone in the world. Either we love the Father, or we love the world. Worldliness is not, you know, worldliness not only affects your response to the love of God, it also affects your response to the will of God, the will of God. Uh, think of it like this. How would you feel if your spouse, uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever relationship stage you're in, needed something for the house or needed something uh, that you could provide, but instead they went to their next door neighbor and got some money or to someone else and got some money whenever that should be your job. Or if, you know, you have a child or if you're responsible for someone need and they're needing help, what if they always went to someone else instead of coming to you? It would break your heart, wouldn't it? It would make you mad. It would make you upset. Well, this is what we do to God when we go to the world's way in trying to meet our needs instead of going to him. It's as if we're saying, Lord, you aren't adequate enough for us. You don't know what's best for me. I'm going to have to get what I want by myself. And so we need to realize that, that whenever we are not trusting in God and whenever we think that our way is better or whenever like we're stressed out and we're worried and if we turn to worldly things instead of praying to God. I mean, something as simple as even like, and, and, I, and I've told people this before, um, you know, I enjoy working out and stuff, and so sometimes when I'm stressed, I'll go for a run or I'll do push-ups or something like that. You know, I'll try to do something physical, physically active because it makes me feel good and it helps me kind of work through those emotions. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You need a physical outlet for emotions and stresses and things like that. However, if you just give your problems and try to solve them through worldly things, they won't truly go away and they won't truly be solved. Only God can truly satisfy us and solve our problems. God promises to be there for us, and he says that we need to go to him with our thoughts and our cares and our concerns, but we have to do it. And so, yes, doing things like that is not a bad thing, like having like working out when you're stressed or working out because you're mad or something like that to help relieve some of those emotions. Those are, those are not necessarily bad things, but if you just go to those things of the world, and fleshly things, and you don't go to God in spirit, then that is wrong. That means you're turning to something other than God, and that is wrong. And then there are obviously more extreme things that are wrong, like, you know, if you're stressed or sad or something like that, and you turn to alcohol or some kind of substance to relieve yourself, that is obviously wrong. Because we need to rely on God, not on something else. It reminds me, you know, there's a popular phrase that you've probably heard before, right? A Christian should be in the world, but not of the world. What does that mean? How can this be? Well, consider a fish who, 
though the fish lives in the salty sea, does not necessarily taste salty when you eat it. Of course, you can add salt to it and make the fish salty. Similar like a Christian. A Christian can be in the world, but not of the world. But if we allow things of the world to come into our lives, we become polluted and influenced. And so, as Christians, we are to be in the world, not of the world. That's where this phrase kind of comes from. Because obviously, we live in this world. God created this world. It's for us. And it's part of the the creation in and of itself is good. But sin has taken over, if you will. Uh, Sin is taking over the world, and so we can either choose to be rooted into that sin and immersed into sin, or be immersed into God and stand out and be different and be in the world, but not of the bad desires of the world. So that's what that phrase kind of means. All right, good. So now verse 16. Verse 16. 1 John 2.16, John more specifically defines what he means by loving the world. There are three types of temptation that John delineates. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These temptations are in our present day as well, as well as John's day. Uh, And they're not much different than the temptations that were faced in the Garden of Eden. Scripture says in Genesis that when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, she saw that it was good for food. The lust of the flesh, it's good for your body. And it was pleasing to the eye, the lust of the eye. So that's two of them. And it was also desirable for gain, the pride of life. Those are the three things that John just mentioned. She took some and ate, right? This verse clarifies in vivid terms those things that come from evil, that come from the evil word and attempt to lead astray those who believe in Jesus Christ. Again, it must be emphasized that this condemnation of everything that is in the world is not a declaration that the world created by God is evil, Rather, it is a proclamation that humanity in its sinfulness has followed evil rather than good and has worshipped the created things rather than the creator. And so, we see that the very first sin, the fall of man in Genesis 3, we see where Adam and Eve were, they fell right for these three things that John mentions in verse 16. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And those are really that's really like the root of all sin, because usually when we sin, it's because we either think it's going to be good for our flesh, it's good for us, or it's desirable to us, our eyes, the desires of the eyes, or our pride, our pride of life causes us to do it. And so if we watch ourselves and if we don't love these things, and if we do our best to resist these things, then the love of the Father will be with us, right? So 1 John 2.17 then uh, shows us that it shows us the second reason not to love the world. Not only, you know, the first reason is that if you love the world, God's love isn't in you, which means that, you know, you don't have his salvation. The second reason not to love the world is because the world, the new world has arrived, the new age, and the present age is doomed. The world, like the darkness that is in it, is already disintegrating, and those consumed with worldly lusts will pass away with it. Only one kind of person will remain. Look at the end of verse 17. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. John draws the logical, the logical conclusion that those thus related to Christ live as he lives. And so... Jesus has already come, 
and established the new kingdom. It's here in part, but it will be completed and fulfilled when Jesus returns again. And so again, the same choice between God and the world, more particularly between the lust of the world and the will of God, still confronts Christians today. We shall more readily obey the command, do not love the world, if we remember that the world and its desires are passing away. However, God's will and those who do it are eternal. This passage has a clear uh, eschatological focus, that basically means a focus on the end times, that, uh, that emphasizes that the things of this world, even the earth itself, will one day pass away from the scene, just as the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 1 John 2.8 The kingdom of God on earth was inaugurated in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it will be established forever when he returns. The eschatological, the eschat, I can never say that word. Anyway, the nature of this verse provides a fitting transition to John's discussion of the antichrists who have departed from the community in the passage we'll talk about next week, in the next set of verses. But the point is, is that You know, when John says, you know, the world is passing away, um, you know, the world is passing away along along with its desires, what he's meaning is that all the physical things that we know today will be gone. Which, why invest in something that's going to be gone? Why not invest in something, you know, one, not only will it save your life, but also why not invest in the living God who will help you abide forever? Right? And so we have to be careful that we don't love the world. Does that mean you can't enjoy things of the world? No. You can enjoy things of the world. You can enjoy, like, I love football and basketball. I love sports. I love uh, going on hikes. I love uh, playing video games. I like, uh, I like going to amusement parks and fun things like that. You know, that stuff is okay. But when you start loving that more than God, that's kind of what, I think that's another thing to put into this passage. You know, whenever you seek worldly things more than God, that is the sin and that is the problem. That's when the love of God doesn't abide in you. That's when you are pursuing the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life. But we have to make sure that we do the will of God, because if we do that, we'll live forever. That means love God more than anything else. Right? The first and greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice that love is primary in being a Christian. It needs to be primary in your life. And so maybe some questions for you to think about is, you know, how do you know if you, wor- if you love the world too much? Well, you should be able to tell by your daily habits. Do you read your Bible? Do you pray? Do you seek after God continually? Or do you spend more time at your job or doing things that interest you instead of doing things for the kingdom and obeying God's commandments? Are there any helpful disciplines that you need to build in your life to help safeguard your heart from the things of the world? You know, ideally, all of us should be reading our Bible every day. All of us should be praying multiple times every day. And, you know, I think it's a good idea to try to do at least one act of service every day, if not more, because acts of service really help you realize what God does. Because God is a God who may be above everything and above everyone and is holy, but he serves us. He doesn't like, when I say he serves us, I don't mean like he listens to us and obeys our commands. No, because we obey God. But what I mean by serving, I mean God is humble uh, and God is selfless, whereas he sent his only son. Jesus was God in human form and came and lived for us and gave himself for us. That's what I mean by serving. Not that, 
God is our servant, but but that God is someone who serves people and who looks out for us, and he's humble. Therefore, we need to have the mindset of God as well and be humble and serve. I mean, God is the creator of everything and took the time to make us, took the time to provide things for us. That's a service, right? That's really what I mean. I guess I should say God has provided service for his people, so we should provide service for others. That's probably a better way to put it. I hope that makes sense. Sorry, that was a little sidebar. Um, I want to finish with one final example, one final story. So again, the main point of our podcast episode today is that we need to love God and not the world. That's the choice we're presented with. If we love God, then we'll live forever. If we don't, then we're going to pass away with the world and its desires. And so we have to remember to be in the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And so, and again, I just want to say, uh, <laughs> my, my conscience is eating me alive here. Um, so God provides service for people. He does not serve people. I just have to say that very clearly. What I mean by we need to be like God and serve, we just need to be like God and be selfless, I guess is what I mean, and be and provide services for people. That's what I mean. So I just need to clarify that or I'm going to eat myself up. <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, our final example. There was a tremendous public resistance to the introduction of the Susan B. Anthony dollar. This small coin was designed primarily to be a durable and lightweight alternative to the paper dollar. But its size created problems for it could easily be confused with a quarter. Legally, it was worth a dollar. But practically speaking, many people considered it a nuisance because of its indistinguishable size and how you couldn't really tell what it was. The same thing happens when the unbelieving world hears the words of a Christian who cannot be distinguished from the lost society in which they live. This discounts his claims concerning Christ. It is not a matter of real worth that is decided by faith, but rather of perceived worth by the world. And so I like this example because as Christians, we need to be distinguishable from the world. In other words, we need to stand out. We need to be different. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you know, we are a city set on a hill, and a city set on a hill is not easily hidden. You know, we have to let our light shine in the darkness and let our good works glorify our Father in heaven. We have to stand out as lights in the dark. And so we need to be distinguishable in our world today. And so we need to remember that we have a choice each and every day. We have a choice to either love God or love this world. And our daily habits will exemplify which one we are choosing. And so remember, we need to be in the world, but not of the world. God bless, guys. Thank you for tuning in to another episode.